Hidden Heroes, a podcast series from UNICEF. Stories about the power of women and girls. This is Hidden Heroes. I'm Beth Murphy. This is the first of what we're calling Deep Dive Episodes, conversations with people dedicated to the work of elevating the status of women and girls throughout the world. We'll bring you another story about women and girls who are finding creative solutions and breaking down barriers next week. Today, we'll hear from Mendy Marsh, someone I admire a lot. You know how some people know from the youngest ages what they want to be when they grow up? They witness things in their lives that totally inspire them or totally disgust them, and they're driven to do something. That's Mendy. And in your own personal history, can you tell us what drives you? What, why do you care so much about this work? I grew up in a, a household that I had to sadly watch my mother not be recognized as the full breadwinner that she was. I think I realized very early on that it wasn't the same for girls as it was for boys in the ways that we grow up. I saw that it's sort of what toxic masculinity can actually do to a household. And so kind of knew probably around seven that I was going to be a, you know, feminist fighter. And so really haven't looked back from it since then. There's no other work that I would ever do. Mendy's work is all about addressing humanitarian crises around the world, specifically trying to stop violence against women and girls when crises like COVID-19 happen. That's why I wanted to talk to her to unpack our last episode about child marriage and the fact that during the pandemic, child marriage rates are exploding. I've been working on violence against women and girls, mostly in conflicts and disasters for over 20 years. I worked inside of both large and small nonprofits within the UN system. First experience of being around harmful practices was when I was a Peace Corps volunteer ages and ages ago in Burkina Faso. Had girlfriends that were exposed to child marriage. Um, and I think, you know, before then and ever since then, I've just kind of known I was always going to work on this issue. After leading that work at UNICEF for 10 years, Mendy is now co-founder and executive director of the organization Voice. Fundamental to Voice's work is the belief that the international aid system is totally broken and sidelines women and girls. Voice has a distinctly feminist approach to its work of amplifying, connecting, and supporting women and girls and the organizations and movements they lead. Voice really aims to help disrupt that system and center crisis and conflict responses on the lived experiences and realities of women and girls. And Mendy has one message that cuts to the core. We need to listen to women more. In our last episode, we did listen to Farida, a refugee living in Uganda. She was 13 years old when she was forced to marry a 35-year-old man. Now she's 22 and doing everything she can to stop it from happening to other girls. Let's listen to how she does it. In this scene from our last episode, she confronts a family planning to marry off their 13-year-old daughter. 
So let's go in, let's go in to see what is happening. He's saying that the daughter have to be married because he needs the boost for his business amidst COVID-19. Everything is upside down. I want them to look directly into their daughter's eyes. Is that the decision you're making? Is it right from your heart? Mendy, what did you find with Farida's story that you felt was maybe particularly unique? And what to you sounds just all too familiar? How many things can the world throw at a single individual, in a sense, sort of testing their courage and their resilience. And I think every, every turn, she showed up and she made it through. You know, she continued her journey in so many different ways. I, you know, it just really, truly illustrates how powerful women and girls are um, and how they are, you know, they're so willing to put themselves aside to support the greater good in so many ways. And that, it's not that her story is not unique. It just is that there are so many young women and girls who have gone through sadly somewhat similar situations. And it's time that we stop it with her. We need to be able to help her have bigger impact to stop more girls from being in this kind of a situation because it it has so many negative outcomes and it's conflict after conflict, crisis after crisis. We are hearing similar things, similar stories, and it it shouldn't be this hard for women and girls to survive in their lives free of, of child marriage and free of other forms of violence. Young girls shouldn't have to wait for someone like Farida, right? They should have more Faridas in their life. That's who they should see in all aspects of where they are, where they're walking, where they're going to school, so that we have fewer scenarios where we have to fight this fight of getting child marriage to be recognized as a significant problem. Can you talk a little bit about how Farida's story connects directly to the work that you do? It connects in so many ways. I mean, Farida is exactly the kind of change maker that Voice would like to, to be able to highlight. She's exactly the kind of individual that we want to amplify. We want to help have her voice be heard. We you know, truly believe that it's women and girls who are the innovators. They're the ones that are coming up with different solutions. They're really the ones that the world needs to step back and give platforms to so that we can have greater outcomes um, for everyone. And so Farida knows what it's like to be in that situation. No one can tell us better what needs to happen. We need people to understand that, that, you know, she is the truly the front line of a She's a crisis response leader in so many ways. It's pretty hard to get any form of violence against women and girls recognized as a life-saving issue. Other sectors are, tend to be more prioritized, such as water and sanitation, nutrition, um, education. And I would say with the onset of COVID, it was quickly recognized as an issue that women and girls were going to face because of different scenarios associated with lockdown, not being able to leave one's home at night, for example, to access services has been really problematic, but there was recognition of it. 
Even more concerning, the pandemic has aggravated chronic difficulties that are already faced by children who are the most marginalized, especially girls. Girls are more likely to experience gender discrimination when it comes to the allocation of household chores. They're more likely to experience gender-based violence, early and forced marriage, and early and unintended pregnancy. All of this limits their chances to participate in remote learning or in-person learning. It's also likely that many girls will not return to school, and that further increases their vulnerability. What is happening right now with COVID-19 response funding, and how much are women and girls being left behind? That's such a good question, because I think, sadly, women and girls do stand to lose so much. There's no one that stands to lose more, honestly. Kind of no matter how you look at it, the thing that still illustrates that we have a very long way to go is that we aren't necessarily seeing a whole new range of resources or financial supports dedicated to the issue. I would say for the issue of child marriage, you know, we've seen child marriage get exacerbated in conflict and crisis situations year after year. Some donors are making really good decisions. Other donors are making, frankly, bad decisions, I would say. You know, we're seeing entire programs that are eliminating their violence against women and girls uh, funding. This, it's not okay, right? That should not be a situation that exists, but it does. If we had the right amount of resources going into this issue, it would be a totally different situation. When you were talking about donors making these decisions and girls' rights and resources for girls and women being the first to go, it reminds me of the Taliban and what's the thing we fear will be the first thing off the table. Exactly. Exactly. So like, how are are those decisions being made right now? There still is a lot of rhetoric around acknowledging the issue, but it's really time that the, the investments are made. We shouldn't have a situation where we have to fight for the issue to be recognized in global humanitarian response plans. It should be the very top of the agenda and it should be resourced as such. We need large investments that are actually in line with how big this problem is. And there's no place that women and girls are free from it, right? So that needs to be acknowledged as well. We know from Ebola and other large public health emergencies that sexual violence and violence against women and girls still continued. We know that it is core to how humanitarian aid is provided. If we're not protecting women and girls from different forms of violence as every part of how that aid is provided, then we're also failing there. It's not only a resource issue, it's also a thinking through how we know that women and girls get exploited through healthcare facilities. We know that the female nurses working in facilities actually get harassed sexually exploited are victimized through violence that impacts them uniquely because they are women in those settings. So why isn't that really acknowledged and addressed? Like it, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Is there somewhere that you can share with us that's a good example where something's going really well or something's really working that you think could provide a roadmap for other communities, other countries? We can see that country after country New Zealand to Germany. Um, We need more women in leadership positions. We need to listen to women more. We need to allow women's leadership to thrive the way that it it can and should. 
because we are seeing better outcomes when they are in leadership roles. When it comes to the existing coordination mechanism, I mean, how do you envision being able to build on that and have something that is stronger for women and girls moving forward? What do we need to do? We need to see more women in leadership across those organizations. We need to have this no longer be an item that can be questioned by these big influential organizations. Every single global humanitarian response plan or any other kind of consolidated response plan, there, it should be questioned if violence against women and girls is not its own priority, its own objective that is well, fully resourced, 100% resourced. If it's not a big priority in every crisis response setting or disaster setting, then people need to be called into question. Their jobs need to be put on the line. It needs to be put into their performance evaluations, that they are doing the right advocacy to make sure that violence against women and girls is always prioritized. People need to be held accountable for it to being an issue that is always addressed. If that recognition is not there, if by all of these senior leaders across different types of organizations and entities, then we're always going to continue to have realities where women and girls are not safe, just in the way that they're act, trying to access aid services. What you make so clear is that these are problems that transcend national boundaries. They're systemic. The global systems that are in place just do not serve women and girls well. It's an issue that we can change, right? I want to see major progress on eradicating violence against women and girls in all of its forms during my lifetime. And I actually think that it is possible if we can get people to really hear more stories like Farida and her journey and her power and resilience and to get donors of all kinds to invest the resources that are required to chart out roadmaps for addressing violence against women and girls across countries that are actually resourced so that they can be successful and that it's something that actually is financially sustainable over time so that we can really generate the social norms change and the long-term change that is required to address violence against women and girls. The real pandemic in many ways is violence against women and girls. And so we really need people to understand that in relation to COVID because it is getting exacerbated significantly. And we need, you know, it's like all hands on deck kind of approach. We need the resources to match the problem. We need people to listen to the right solutions that are led by women and girls. You know, enough is enough, honestly. Hidden Heroes is a UNICEF podcast series about women's and girls' empowerment, their stories, activism, and solutions. It's produced by Principal Pictures with funding support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. This episode of Hidden Heroes was reported and written by me, Beth Murphy. Our series is written and produced by Amory Sievertson. Sadie Zook is the associate producer. Mix and sound design by Mike Moschetto. Editing by Erica Lance. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. For more information on this series, go to unicef.org. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. know a hidden hero? Call 1-347-921-HERO 
That's 1-347-921-4376. And tell us about a hidden hero in your life. We're excited to share these stories on social media, and maybe even in future episodes, to celebrate the hidden heroes in your community. And thanks. Thanks.